Hi everyone, thanks for joining us. Um, today I'd like to introduce Ian Leslie, who's the Head of Business Development for Aon. Um, Ian, thanks for coming down and uh, making, by all accounts, a rather empty train journey down from Birmingham this morning. It was. I had a carriage to myself, which is slightly surreal, but given the times, I suppose yeah. it's the new normal. I guess no-one's got the back-to-work memo quite yet. Well, certainly not for, <laughs> no, uh, for central London commuting. No, and certainly not at the train time that I was, uh, I was on this morning. So. <laughs> well, appreciate it. Thanks for making the journey. Um, you and I speak on a, on a relatively regular basis. Um, and I guess a subject that comes up an awful lot, uh, more from you than from me, is zombie companies. Mm. Um, so I know you've got a few things you want to get off your chest, and I thought this would be a great forum for, for that to take place. So uh, I guess if you want to start by, by explaining what a zombie company is in the technical sense, um, and really just the floor is yours. Yeah, sure, and uh, I'll be as technical as I can be about it. Um, oh, look, the, the term zombie company is one that most people have heard of these days. Uh, apparently, it started in 1987 um, with the US banking crisis. Uh, grew popularity, really, for us in kind of Western Europe. It grew in popularity with a financial crisis uh, and became a, a, a term used to describe a business. I think the technical term is if their ICR, so interest cover ratio, is at one. Um, so it's a business that is alive, uh, but barely. So there's, there's two real definitions. There's the narrow one, which is the, the ICR, as I mentioned a second ago. Uh, and then there's a wider definition, which looks at you know, how much a, a business is investing, whether their revenue is, uh, is stagnating, so what the revenue trend is, uh, their cash flows. So it's one of those where it's a term that lots of people use, um, but actually the definition of it, it kind of depends who you're talking to. Um, but it, it definitely is something that's worth, worth our conversation today, put it that way. And is it worth our conversation today because obviously post-pandemic we're in a very different world than we were um, you know, a year or two ago now, or is this something that's just been sort of bubbling away in the background anyway? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't caused by the pandemic. Uh, this is an issue that's been going on for a while. Um, so we saw it in the financial crisis, kind of went away for a bit, uh, and then it started to grow. Uh, back, even in 2019, KPMG were estimating that one in seven businesses globally were in a, a zombified state. Um, and what the pandemic has done has exacerbated that situation. Right. Uh, so a, a think tank in the UK called uh, Onward uh, did a load of research uh, to see what effect the pandemic had had on the numbers. Uh, and what they found was that one to four percent New, new businesses have gone into a zombified state, which takes the total in the UK to around 20%. So if you think of that as one in five, it kind of shows the gravity of the situation. So it hasn't been caused by the pandemic. It's definitely been exacerbated and made worse by it. Sure. And I guess as, as you see it in your role, which is it, it's sort of in a credit and insurance role, this is a real risk to you guys. This is a risk that you're looking at daily um, across sectors. This isn't just isolated. Obviously, we know that, that travel... Um, uh, mm -hmm. has been brought to its knees. But it's not just that. You were saying earlier as we were having a coffee that this is really, you know, UK-wide. Yeah, it is. And it, it surprised me, actually, how many sectors it's across because you, would, you, you kind of know the sectors you expect to see it in, um, not just because they're the sectors which tend to have the higher amount of claims anyway, but these are sectors where we know there's been a lot of volatility, where they've been massively impacted by, by the pandemic through no fault of their own, but just the way it is. Um, but it actually surprised me how many sectors it's across. So you've got automotive, obviously travel, as we said, but you've got energy, utilities, telecommunications, media. You know, it, it is a, 
a global, you know, if you want to, I don't want to use the term pandemic, but it is, it's across all sectors. So it isn't, isn't just isolated to kind of one area. Sure. And I guess I'm sitting here thinking, well, actually, I've got clients in, in all of those spaces and, and plenty more as well. Yeah. Um, not the first time I've heard zombie companies, not just from you, <laughs> but in, in the press as well. And I guess the, knowing about something and acting um, on something are, are two very different things. And almost get the feeling that perhaps the situation is diluted by the press coverage sometimes in as much as you can just go, OK, is what it is. Mm. But actually, in real terms, you know, if it's one in five companies yep. that have got this, then surely there are some, I guess, some red flags, some signals, some, some steps to be able to take to go, OK, who are my client base? <coughs> what position are they in and, and what do I do about it, really? It's a good question because there's a couple of ways that you can, you can protect yourself. I mean, first and foremost is around investment in, in your credit management team. Uh, the job of credit manager has never been harder than it is today. It's always been tough, but now to get to the same decision they would have come to back in 2019, it's going to take them longer, they've got to go through more things. It's just a longer process and a, and a tougher process to get there. So making sure that your team is resourced properly is, is really, really important. And regardless of the other things I'm going to talk about, you know, that is, that's number one on its own. So number two is around the information. Um, not only is it harder for the guys to go through it, but actually getting access to the information is that much tougher. I mean, we're lucky in the UK, <coughs> a company's house has a lot of information already there, but because of the pandemic, it's just not as useful as it was back pre-pandemic. So it's about getting up-to-date, relevant financials. Um, and that's management accounts, that's cash flow forecasts, and that really comes from uh, one or two routes. First one is, is knowing your, your customers and having a relationship with them to be able to talk to them and ask them and explain why it is that you want that information. So not just a case of, of kind of asking for it, explaining the rationale behind why it is you're asking for it, what the impact is if you don't, don't get it. Because nobody wants to look at shortening payment terms, but that is obviously another step you can take. Um, and then there, and I wouldn't be doing my job without saying it, but then there's other access to information through things such as credit insurance. Uh, and that can be a really useful way of, of getting financials and, and information on businesses that you, you just wouldn't be able to get, get normally. Sure. I, I guess, you know, I'll play devil's advocate to a point here. Um, but you get all the information. You know, you, if you've got the relationship with the client, great. And if they've got the data that's forthcoming, wonderful. Yeah. You're processing that data and actually you don't like what you're seeing. Now, yeah. from a sales guy's perspective, I'm sure that's the worst thing ever because you are going to want to cut terms, reduce limits and things like that. Yeah. Um, but also from an insurance perspective, if you're seeing that data as well, then it's going to be potentially harder to write a policy on that, yeah. that individual. So uh, is there a way of overcoming that or is that just actually what we're facing and, and something to be mindful of? Yeah, it's a really good question because credit insurance always gets a bit of a bad rap for being there until it starts raining and then the umbrella gets taken away, um, which, which, you know, if somebody's been in it for a number of years now, I can say is not the case. Um, but obviously the insurers, like the companies, they're not there just to take on risk and take losses. It wouldn't be a very good business model if they did. Um, so you're right, if the business starts to, starts to downturn rapidly enough or, or severe enough, the insurers may look to, to you know, remove their position. Um, but that doesn't mean you lose the information. So you can still, you know, in terms of risk, if you can't transfer it and you can't avoid it, the best thing you can do is understand it. And, and you know, that really comes from that information piece. So even if you're in a situation where a limit maybe gets withdrawn or reduced, it doesn't mean that you're not going to keep the information flow with the insurer. And it's, it's worth remembering that information for insurers is their lifeblood. It's what they live off. Um, so 
and the worse the company gets, the more the insurers are going to want to know what is the latest you know, state of play, because they're conscious with every decision they make. They don't want to create self-fulfilling prophecies, but they also don't want to take losses that, that, that yeah. they shouldn't do. Um, so it's, it, is, it all comes back to the information piece. Yeah, well, I guess that is the thing, isn't it? Because, as you said, self-fulfilling prophecy feels to me like, well, actually, they're, they're not insurable, or I can only insure them for a very low limit, therefore I'm going to have to reduce my terms. Yeah. Therefore, they're going to have, be more cash constrained because they're going to be paying early, which yeah. in turn is going to hurt the, uh, the new financial information that comes out, which in turn is going to turn the insurers off, etc. Yeah. So I guess potentially you're actually risking digging someone deeper into a hole through the insurance piece, let alone when we talk about you know, interest rates potentially rising um, yeah, yeah. and things like that. So of the pitfalls that you see over the next... Uh, pass on when the pandemic's going to end. But as we emerge from it, and let's big assumption that there isn't, you know, future lockdown or aren't future lockdowns. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, but pass. I think Sajid uh, is pretty keen that there won't be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yet to be proven. Um, in terms of the next 18 months, two years as a timeline, you know, how does this evolve as people start to think about oh, interest rates potentially rising, um, bounce back loan schemes potentially mm. needing to be repaid you know are we looking at the start of an avalanche uh yes <laughs> the question to end all questions there we go is get my crystal ball out and predict the future um we the, so if we go back to when the pandemic first started i'm not an economist but all economists thought there was going to be this wave of insolvencies and, and why wouldn't you when let's be honest yeah. the economy was closing down so it would lead to make you think that if there's no revenue that businesses aren't going to survive Obviously, the government stimulus came in, we had the C-bill scheme and all those sorts of things, and whether, you know, you think there was enough or too, too little investment, the reality is that investment staved off that, you know, that kind of raft or tsunami of insolvencies, whatever you want to call it. Um, but what we're now left with, rather than impending doom, which is what we had back in kind of 2020 when all these stimulus schemes came into play, is we've now got unknown... Uh, you know, future volatility, all those things, unpredictability, everything that you don't really want when you're trying to manage risk, we've got that now because no one really knows what we're going to go back to. You obviously mentioned around uh, interest rates. Um, you know, that's almost seen as a bit of a dirty word at the moment, but we don't really know what it's going to look like. We don't know how much they're going to rise by. We'll assume they're going to rise, um, but, you know, don't quote me on that because I'm not an economist, but it looks like they're going to, so it depends what impact that has on on the bottom line and then you've got things around lockdown economics at the moment is a term <clears throat> which a lot of people are using to describe the way in which we're spending currently whether that's through forced decisions or unforced the question will be when we reopen how much of it was personal choice and how much of it was because we were told to do it um, so there's going to be a lot of businesses out there that are trying to forecast turnovers and they don't really know what their consumers are going to what their customers are going to do um, so volatility is is, is going to be massive and, and, and I sound like a stuck record but it just comes down to you know knowing your customer base and doing what you can to protect I mean I know me and you obviously were talking earlier but one of the things that I, I don't like with our industry in terms of credit insurance is it gets called bad debt protection which I, I hate because for me that's the wrong way around of looking at things because that's basically saying I know it's going to happen so I want to protect myself when it happens whereas the way I see it is it's about opportunity protection because it's doing what you can to grow your business and grow sales safely with knowing that you've got that safety net and that protection and that information. Um, but it's about avoiding a bad debt. It's not about the insurer paying it out when it happens. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, from a, from a risk perspective, we see it obviously in the FX markets. And, you know, we would say 
you know, one, one of the biggest unknown costs will be the cost of your foreign exchange rate unless you've got it locked in. So it's not yeah. about thinking, oh, it's going to go down, I need to get this protection in place. It's about this is where I know I'm doing business. Mm. This is the comfort that I've got, that I've got on my margin should things turn south. Yeah. Um, but then let's go and, and drive the business forward. Um, to your, your point on sort of the, the amount of information that I'm guessing everyone is, is starting to share and you know, is being gleaned from this, I think it's an interesting opportunity in a lot of sectors where actually you may be in a zombified state as a business, yeah. but if your input cost is lower than your sales price, you've probably got a viable business there. Yeah. And I think, again, interest rates are still low. Money is absolutely abundant. And I just wonder whether there's a consolidation play for other businesses that are slightly more ambitious about the sector or the space that they're in, thinking, mm -hmm. well, there's an opportunity there to add a product line, add a customer base, add something to my business that I'm seeing from a business that, that may be not in as, as great a shape as I am, and whether the owner of that zombified business could be thinking, well, actually, I'd rather take 80p on the pound than you yeah. know, bring in some of your friends in the, uh, in the claims department, as it were. <laughs> yeah, and that's where the... the when people think of zombie companies, it kind of goes hand in hand with the term. They think poor business. It doesn't mean it's a poor business. It just means it's in a poor state right now. But you're right. I mean, if there was a way of consolidating through mergers and acquisitions, a couple of zombie companies together, and then lowering your cost base, you can turn what looks like a you know a, a dying business, if you will, into into something which is profitable, growing ability to invest. Um, the risk, from an economic standpoint, is if the problem around zombie companies gets worse, or if the number is allowed to continue to grow. Because there is a, a and the correlation between the number of zombie companies in an, in an economy compared to the amount of investment that happens, people have got different opinions on how much it correlates between the two, but the one undenying factor is that there is a link between the, the percentage of zombie companies as a percentage of the whole within an economy and how much investment happens. Yeah. So, there is a risk if we don't do something about it or if it's allowed to, to get worse is that you start seeing lower productivity, job losses, all these sorts of things, which obviously we don't, yeah. don't want. Well, I, I guess normally I'd say that market forces would probably come in and, yes, there would be some consolidation, there would be some wastage, but that whole proposition is so heavily skewed now by the government's uh, intervention and, you know, entirely justifiable and you know, mm. great intervention at the time, but yeah. there is going to be that the knockout and I just wonder what the timeline is going to be, whether it is hypothetically 18 months, two years, or things happen a lot quicker. Yeah, and then, you know, no one wants to hear me say this, so I'll apologise to everybody in advance, but the risk of further lockdowns, you know, I mean, it's, it's what none of us want to think about or say, but the reality is when they introduce a traffic light system, the reason they introduce a traffic light system is so it can go up and down, and, you know, we may get to, to green where everything reopens, um, but there's always a risk that you go back to amber and obviously... Touch wood, fingers crossed, all the rest, that we don't ever go back to, to full lockdowns. Um, Sorry, this is recorded on a Monday morning, so thanks for that yeah. bright start to the week. Uh, yeah, This is only going to be one way traffic yeah. and summer holidays are going to come on, hey, and you, it's coming home at this point as well. So there's still a lot to be optimistic about. An ex-accountant who works in insurance, optimism and, and stuff, probably, probably not in the team, <laughs> so, uh, so I apologise for that. But it, it just shows a level of volatility that's there. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh... So if you were to give perhaps one or two, maybe even three, yep. practical tips to, I guess, almost any business, as you've said, this is, this is sector yeah. agnostic, um, and there'll be so many businesses that are looking for to, to bounce back, to recover, uh, to gain new clients. Yeah. You know, what, what are sort of the top tips, if you like, to make sure that you can do business with limited risk? OK, so talked about investment in your 
credit management piece, so we'll, we'll kind of park that to one side. Um, I think the, the first thing is no, understanding your book. So if, if you've not done that already, the, the first thing you need to do is work out of your customer ledger, sales ledger, whatever you want to call it, what percentage of your customers are in this state. Whether you use the wide definition or narrow definition, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Do the analysis to work out of your book how much of it you think there is in this kind of zombified state. Or it may even just be in a sector that you believe has still got a chance of being impacted going forward. Because then you can work out the size of the problem. Because for some people, you might be dealing with lots of business in this state. Others, you might be fortunate, you might not be dealing with any, and therefore, you know, you maybe you don't need to take the severity of steps that we're going to talk about. Um, so that's, I think knowing your ledger is really important and your customers within it. And the other two pieces, one, I, I do think protection is key, and obviously I'm maybe slightly biased in that in terms of saying it, but there are other ways of protecting it. It doesn't have to be credit insurance there, and there are bank, bank guarantees. There's other ways of doing things in terms of protecting your position. Um, you know, it may be being more stricter with your credit limits with customers, but that obviously has a negative knock-on effect. So find some way of protecting yourself, and that's dependent on the risk you're willing to take as a business. Um, and then in terms of the last piece, it's just reviewing it regularly. Uh, I, I know with IFRS changes, the, there's a lot more focus now on on your bad debt reserve at the end of the year. Um, and whilst it's an annual thing, uh, it, the, the, the more regularly you can review your customer base, the better right now, because it's going to be so volatile, there's going to be so many changes. Whereas you might have got away with reviewing a customer once every 12 months in the past. Now I think it needs to be a, a quarterly review, even if it's just a, you know, a stamp in the box to say, yeah, they're fine, you know, see, same again next quarter. And, and that's why I keep coming back to that resource piece, because it's, it's, it is your best protection is knowledge, 100%. Well, I mean, that seems like the perfect opportunity to, to end this. Uh, your best protection is knowledge. Ian, thanks for, for coming down That's and making right. the journey. It's appreciated. No doubt see you again. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me.